Good morning. It's a Wednesday. It is Kale and Company Live right here on WKXL. 1039 FM in the Capital Region, along with 1450 AM, the signal that's been around for 76 years or so, and in the Manchester area and beyond at 101.9 on the FM dial and streaming around the world and around the clock on nhtalkradio.com. And joining us today on Kale & Company Live, an author, journalist, a professor, <laughs> State rep, uh, not to mention a retired lieutenant colonel, USMC, Michael Moffat. Welcome back to the show, Mike. Ken, it's always great to, to be with you all down here with, at WKXL. And, and I should say, uh, his, one of his nicknames, I, I know he has many nicknames, but one of them is Groveton Slim. Yes. That, <laughs> <laughs> you made the mistake of telling me that not too long ago. Tom Satch Sanders of the uh, Celtics, uh, he later coached the Celtics, and then yep. he coached at Harvard. And I uh, went to his basketball camp. I actually played him one-on-one uh, a couple of times. And um, So anyway, uh, yeah, real quick, since you mentioned it, my first trip to the Garden in 1978, uh, a friend of mine and I just went down to s- uh, stand on the uh, parquet floor and— uh, this is, the Celtics were bad this year, bad yeah. years before Larry yeah. Bird. Right. And uh, so we sat down at the scorer's table next to the Celtics bench, just pregame, and nobody kicked us out. We stayed there. So at halftime, uh, Sanders is going to the uh, Celtics locker room, and he sees me at the scorer's table. Uh, he remembered me from basketball camp, and he said, uh, Grofton Slim, what are you doing here? So <laughs> my, my, my friend was very impressed. So. I, I guess so. I mean, as as uh, not surprisingly that he would be. Uh, but at any rate, uh, Grofton Slim is in the house today. <laughs> and speaking of uh, Satch Sanders, Satch, a longtime teammate of uh, Bill Russell. And uh, we, we lost Bill Russell a, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I'll tell you, you talk about legends. I mean, uh, he is just a, a legendary figure. I, I think, in my opinion, if I was to say who was the greatest player in the history of the Boston Celtics, I would say Bill Russell. How could you argue with that? And, uh, in fact, uh, as you know, I see you have a copy of it here in my uh, weekly sports. I do. I'll, I'll hold it up for the Facebook Live uh, audience that yep, you have. there it there is. There you go. Uh, Groveton Slim and Bill Russell <laughs> yeah. right there. Yeah, the uh, worst times they do, as you know, and as you were a reader, Ken, I appreciate that you read the uh, sports uh, column thoroughly, every week. Thoroughly, thoroughly. Uh, yeah, this week's column is on uh, Bill Russell. In fact, uh, I did dig out a photo uh, from many years ago of myself with uh, the, the Celtic legend Bill Russell at an event at Northeastern University. And yes, he passed away on July 31st. And uh, before most people's times, he, you know, his last game was uh, 53 years ago. Good lord! Mm-hmm. But uh, sure, what a what a le- the first black uh, major league head coach yep. uh, among so many other things, which I don't. Mo- true fans already know these things, but yeah, uh, got uh, rest in peace. And his number six has been retired throughout the NBA now, like yeah. like Major League Baseball did with Jackie Robinson's 42, which I think is wonderful. And the NBA uh, wasted no time, really, in doing that. I mean, that that was really something. And, uh, you know, no one deserves it more than he does in terms of uh, the NBA, not only for what he did uh, for the Boston Celtics with all of his championships as, as a player and then as a player coach, 
but also uh, what he did for civil rights, marching with Martin Luther King and being so active in, in the civil rights movement back in the 60s and 70s. Sure, there's some uh, photos of him with Lou Alcindor, who became Kareem Jabbar, and Jimmy Brown, uh, Martin Luther King uh, in the mid 60s, 66. Uh, and Muhammad Ali, did I mention him? Good Lord. Yeah. Uh, and so he was not afraid to, uh, it, at that time, which is a very different time from today, to stand up and, and uh, take the slings and arrows that go with being an, an activist or, or an advocate for, for social change. And, and that's a big part of his journey, which uh, is part of the reason we celebrate him today and why his number six, old number six, was retired. In fact, Sat Sanders, who we mentioned earlier, wore number 16. Yeah, yeah. And after Russell retired, uh, I'd be watching the Celtics game. I'd see number 16, and I'd think, oh, it's Russell. Oh, it's nothing against it's Satch, Satch, but right. uh, it was. Sat Sanders was wonderful, but he was no Bill Russell. So. There were very few Bill Russells, if any, really, in the history of the NBA. I, I mean, in a sense, uh, he revolutionized the game uh, back in his day. Sure. I mean, uh, you know, fast break basketball, he didn't invent it, but uh, his rebounding and his uh, outlet passes and, mm. and people like Bob Cousy would, and Havlicek, John Havlicek especially, uh, would run the floor. Yeah. And, of course, his, uh, his def- defensive prowess uh, was, uh, was legendary in, in his rivalry with Wilt Chamberlain. Yeah. I get, uh, folks today, I, I think they probably know who Wilt Chamberlain is or was, but gosh, it's been, uh, it's been a long time since they were on the court. And those were epic battles. I, I can't think of a matchup today uh, in the NBA or, you know, in, in many previous years uh, that uh, could even, you know, come close to that. Chamberlain, Russell, those were must-see games or must-listen-to games back in, the, back in the day with Johnny Most, you know. And uh, I, I am so glad that, that I grew up when I did so that I could see Bill, <laughs> Bill Russell play in person. And, I mean, his, his shot-blocking ability, as you pointed out, I mean, that's what really set him apart, his shot-blocking, his rebounding. Uh, he was not a prolific scorer, that's for sure. Not not a great outside shooter or a great uh, free throw shooter either. But uh, what he did on defense was just incredible, and he could block the shot. And you know how how it goes. Most guys, when they block shots, uh, it, it's it's random. It goes out of bounds. It might go to an opponent or whatever. But he somehow could block a shot and then direct it to a teammate. You know, I, I can hear Johnny Most in my head. Blocked by Russell, picked off by Sam Jones. You know, really, you know, and uh, incredible. Well, as a radio guy, you have a special appreciation for Johnny Most, as do I. Uh, loved uh, Johnny Most, uh, his calls. Uh, Havlicek stole the ball and on and yeah. on. So yeah. many years ago. And, and uh, you can go on YouTube, which I've done, yeah. and, and find a little, some Johnny Most calls, which, you know, he was not an objective uh uh, Hardly play-by-play uh, play guy at all, which is why uh, we loved him in Boston and right. in New England, and why he uh, he was not he was not beloved around the NBA. No, but, uh, no. but he called the game exactly the way Red Auerbach wanted it to be called. <laughs> yes, yeah, but uh, no, th- those were the days. I mean, you know, the Celtics have had some great eras. They they had that era. They had the the Bird era, and uh, more recently the the Big Three. With uh, Kevin Garnett and and Paul Pierce and, and Ray Allen, their most recent uh, championship. 
I think they they were capable of winning the championship this year if uh, if uh, you know Jason Tatum had had a better series against Golden State. Well, they had a two games to one lead in yeah. the finals, and so uh, they didn't they didn't finish it off. But we should uh, be appreciative uh, that uh, they got to where they got and where, where they get to. Yep. NBA Finals, and uh, it was a great run, mm-hmm. and. And uh, so we're excited about next year. Uh, their opening game is October 18th against the Sixers. Not that's, that's just two months away. That's right, and that's uh, that'll be a national TV game uh, for that one. I think the nightcap is the Lakers and the Warriors uh, yep. that night. So that that should be a good one too. I guess the big question is now, uh, Mike Moffat, is uh, is Kevin Durant going to be a member of the Boston Celtics when October 18th rolls around? Well, that's very interesting because he is available, uh, Kevin Durant uh, being one of the top players in the NBA. Uh, very interesting. I, th- I think he's a little older. Uh, I know he's a little older, mm-hmm. and he's been beat up a little bit. He's had some operations. So I'm a little skeptical that he might be the best person to try to fit into that mix that got to the NBA Finals. Uh, it's like uh, you know the Celtics had a, another player who didn't really – fit in chemistry-wise, who went to the Brooklyn Nets, who didn't really fit in chemistry-wise. And chemistry is important. So You would be referring to Kyrie Irving in, in that regard. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Kyrie Irving, sure. Yes, yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know. I mean, the Celtics would have to, uh, to get Kevin Durant, have to give up quite a bit. Uh, most likely uh, Jalen Brown, for sure. And uh, who knows what else. Uh, but uh, at, at least Jalen Brown, some draft picks. Uh, I don't know if they'd be willing to part with Marcus Smart. Uh, but uh, you know, if 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 that were the the deal, Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, and a couple of first round draft picks, would you do it? Honestly, I probably would not because of, as I said earlier, Kevin Durant's age. And plus, Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown just had such a wonderful playoff uh, experience and run. And, and uh, yeah, I kind of bonded with those guys, so I, I, would, I would not want to see that. We will have a lot more coming up. Lots to discuss, not only in the sports world, but uh, politically as well. Lots going on these days. As we head toward the September 13th primary here in the state of New Hampshire, we've been talking uh, quite a bit about that uh, this week with our our previous guest um, yesterday, uh, Neil Levesque, who had uh, some new numbers from his uh, St. Anselm uh, polling. And uh, tomorrow on the show, we're going to be uh, checking in with uh, Brigadier General Don Bulldog. Will be with us tomorrow here on uh, Kale and Company Live. But today it's Mike Moffat, State Representative. And we'll be back with Mike right after these words. Kale and Company Live here on WKXL and NHTalkRadio.com. Don't touch that dial. Welcome back. It is Kale and Company Live here on WKXL. Great to have New Hampshire State Representative Mike Moffat in the house, a uh, charter member of the Legislative Beer Caucus. And we've had, you know, uh, some of the charter members on already. Tim Lang's been on the show. Howard Pearl has been on the show. And both of the aforementioned, uh, Mr. Lang and Mr. Pearl, are, are running for state senate this time around. I guess my question is, Mike Moffat, why aren't you? 
running for state senate. Well, That's I was correct. talking to Tim Lang yesterday about that, and I said uh, if there was a floatario uh, senate seat that uh, was extra, uh, maybe I could look at that. But, uh, yeah, uh, Representative Tim Lang and Representative Howard Pearl, now that they're running for state senate, they've become a little more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, conscious of their image. So oh, okay. a, we're all on yeah. Facebook all the time. We're very transparent. and But you won't see quite as many uh, photos of, of those two dis- distinguished legislators uh, perhaps having fun on the golf course uh, as much as we used to because they are now running for the upper chamber and – and they need to be a little more distinguished, and uh, you know, good luck to them. And uh, of course, you know, love them both, and uh, and I hope they both uh, move forward because, they, as you know, they really work hard and they're very, oh, absolutely. very, very good at what they do. Yeah, and uh, you know, it, it, there's a, a lot of responsibility there, and, and being a state rep, and then uh, maybe going on to the next level at the uh, state senate. Not that there's a huge pay increase. Between pays, the pays two houses. The, as you know, Ken, as a former Solon <laughs> yourself, uh, it pays the same now that for the, both the Senate and the House as it did when you were in a while ago, which is. There a, you go, 100 years ago. Hundred, when, speaking of when, 100, when, it's $100 a year. That's right. A hundred, uh, yeah. In fact, uh, Anna Brown at Citizens Count does a, a podcast called $100 a Year and Mileage, you know, but. Uh, it's uh, it, it's a great experience, you know. It really and truly is. You learn a lot. It's an eye-opening experience. And I was just in two years when Craig Benson was uh, governor back in that era. And but you were a single-issue candidate or a single-issue rep. You, you I said. was. I was. And you see, that's the thing. I mean, nobody really. I think there are very few out there uh, of the general public that know what anybody's platform is or what their beliefs are. And, and I think name recognition has a lot to do with it, uh, you know, I mean, because I had no political background when I ran, and, and I was a one-issue candidate. I mean, I was running to uh, try and uh, forward the possibility of a casino for New Hampshire in, in Salem, I mean, which would have been the best place in, in, in New England for a casino, right off exit one of 93 couldn't have been a better spot. I agree, Ken. And if I had been in, I would have uh, supported your position on that. Well, thank you. Thank you. And, I, you know, I was urged, I'm a Republican, but I was urged to run by a Democrat. A good friend of mine, Frank Sullivan, the late Frank Sullivan, who uh, was a, a, a former teacher at Manchester Memorial High School. But when he retired, ran for state rep as a Democrat. So he urged me to run as a Republican, knowing that my vote would have been there for a casino, if it ever came to that. And, you know, not, uh, well, it was a number of years ago now, and I remember exactly where it was when I got the news that that casino legislation, uh, you know, a number of years ago, lost by one One vote. vote. (laughs) One vote. Because both Garcia sisters showed up on the same day, which hadn't happened in that session prior to that, but we won't get into that right now. That's ancient history, but at any rate, there's going to be no casino in Salem, probably no a legitimate casino. I know you have the charitable casinos and all of that, but no a huge, big, billion-dollar casino here in New Hampshire. Well, there is the the place in Manchester that does uh, have gambling. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Um, and sports betting, they have a sports book. And again, yeah. back to uh, Representative Tim Lang running oh, yeah. for, for Senate. Uh, he did a fabulous job. Uh, he was in the minority at the time, yeah. but working across the aisle and with all parties to uh, get New Hampshire uh, a law 
that w- that was signed in the signed into law in 2019 to uh, legalize sports gaming yes. here in the Granite State. Yeah. In fact, he and Governor Sununu uh, both simultaneously. Uh, I was there down in Manchester when they had the first legal sports bet. Yep. Uh, Tim says he, he was really first. The governor, uh, I think, uh, claims he was first. Claims yeah. he was first. Yeah, but, <laughs> but anyway, you know, good on them because uh, you know I think that uh, as we all know, so many people love to put a little bit of a wager on a game to make yeah. it more fun. Sure. And to do it legally and out of the shadows, uh, with so many millions of dollars going yeah. to education out of that. So good on uh, on Tim Tim Lang, I say, for uh, getting that done. Yeah, and uh, certainly beat Massachusetts to the punch. Now Massachusetts just passed sports betting, just passed sports betting legislation, but there's still a lot to work out in in terms of uh, what's going to happen and how it's going to be implemented in uh, Massachusetts. So nothing is really etched in stone. So we really beat them to the punch. And Tim Lang mentioned when he was in here. That uh, last year, about uh, $30 million in revenue uh, in the state due to DraftKings, and it's, I think, ever-increasing. I think it's going to get larger as the years go by. A lot of those are Massachusetts dollars, and uh, we'll take them and we'll use them and uh, direct them towards education, just like a lot of Massachusetts dollars come to our state liquor stores. Right, um, exactly. So thank you, Massachusetts, for all your help. have to take advantage of that. Why not? (laughs) Why why, why not? I I used to say that, uh, you know, New Hampshire was the uh, syntax capital of the world. Everybody coming here for their... There's cigarettes, which were cheaper than Massachusetts and other places. Uh, their alcohol and the scratch tickets. You know, people would flock to New Hampshire for you know, for those for those reasons, among others. But you know, syntax capital of the world. In fact, you know this, Mike, as a historian of the state, that New Hampshire had the first in the nation lottery. 1964. Right. Yep. Governor King was in power at that time and signed it into uh, law. I saw Governor King uh, in like 1966 up in Grofton, where I'm from, yeah. and we're having recess. Beautiful and, Grofton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A beautiful North Country town. And Governor King uh, was walking through the playground during recess with uh, Bill Stiles, who I think was a governor's counselor from Grofton then. So he's walking by, and we kids were playing, and so we could tell he was kind of important because he had an entourage walking through the playground. And we said... Uh, who are you? Who are you? And he said, don't you recognize your governor? Yeah, John, John King, a Democrat, later became a, uh, a judge. And uh, yeah, so I, I met Governor King uh, back in the mid-60s before I met Bill Russell and before I met you, Ken. So. Yeah, long before, long before you met me. Uh, but uh, yeah, and so, you know, I, I asked you why you're not running for uh, state senate. And then there's been some speculation you know, going around that uh, now you're running for re-election, right, as a state rep. Oh, I sure am. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I, I've run, I, I'm two and two in my district, which is Canterbury yeah. and Loudoun. Uh, I lost. I, I had a tie, and I lost. Then I won big. Then I lost narrowly. Then I, I won very big two years ago. Very gratifying. You mentioned name recognition. Uh, there was another Moffitt, Howard Moffitt. Uh, in fact, the two of us both served simultaneously one term. He's from Canterbury. I'm from Loudoun. So there were Moffat signs all over our yeah. two-town district. And I, <laughs> I thanked Howard. I said, Howard, thank you for putting up all the Moffat signs. So, so there's some name recognition. I'm sure some folks probably voted for him when they meant to vote for me and vice versa. But he's not running. So, uh, but, but the name recognition hopefully is still there. I love being in the State House. Uh, 
Uh, I've been on education committee two terms. I yeah. was vice chair of uh, state, federal, and veterans relations. And uh, so I, if the voters will give me a chance, I uh, used to teach government, love it, and uh, would love to go back if, uh, if I can get the votes. And you're a high-profile guy, Mike Moffat. I mean, uh, the weirdest times every week you have a great sports column, and, and sometimes you deviate and do things uh, other than sports uh, as well. But I, I'm just wondering uh, if, if you might uh, try to make a, a gubernatorial run one of these days. You know, somebody else, uh, two or three people have jokingly asked me that. And, no, I'm not uh, joking. I'm serious. I'm serious. Well, let me think about that. I, tr- truth be told, I'm uh, not as, as young. Uh, you know, I, I support Governor Sununu. He's, uh, uh, he was the youngest governor in the country, and uh, there is something to be said for youthful stamina. Uh, but I, I'm very happy to have a seat at the table at the House and, um, and to be a vice chair of a committee. Uh, gives me a little entree into some of the leadership-type meetings, and and uh, I lo- love that. That's a good political answer, too, Mike <laughs> Moffat. Because, you know, there is speculation that uh, our governor may, may throw his hat in the... Uh, into the presidential ring for 2024. You, so, need, you need to get him on your show, Ken, and, yeah. uh, and uh, ask him. There you go. Mike Moffat is with us, state representative. Still lots of ground to cover here on this uh, Wednesday morning. And if you missed any part of the uh, first portion of uh, this program, you can hear it tonight in its entirety from 7 to 8. And I want to say hello to all those uh, Facebook Live folks on the uh, Mike Mike Moffat Facebook page. Right here on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 in Manchester and beyond. And streaming all the time at nhtalkradio.com. Due to the huge demand, we are back here on uh, Kale and Company Live. Ken Kale here with uh, Mike Moffat, state representative, who uh, denies any gubernatorial aspirations. <laughs> but, but folks, that's a long ways away. You know, it's still a couple of years away. Uh, speaking about uh, aspirations for uh, candidates, the uh, recent uh, St. Anselm polling came out concerning our our congressional races and the senatorial race and uh, on the national level. And, of course, uh, Maggie Hassan is the uh, incumbent Democrat uh, in the Senate, and she is being challenged by uh, a number of uh, Republicans uh, this time around, including a gentleman who will be on our show tomorrow and General Don Bolduck, who has been pretty outspoken about things in uh, recent weeks. But he has rather a, a commanding lead right now on uh, uh, the runner-up, statistically anyway, and Chuck Morse for the Republican uh, nomination. Yeah, I'm tracking that very closely. I, I think the world of General Bolduc, I really do. And also Chuck Morse, I think, has done a great job uh, as Senate president. And, uh, and Kevin Smith, I've, I've talked to, and, and he, I think he's very impressive. Uh, you know, not that my endorsement means a whole lot. I, I haven't really endorsed any of them. I, I like all three. And the other candidates I heard on a radio debate yesterday were yeah. also impressive. Uh, you mentioned General Bolduc uh, leading in the, that recent St. Anselm poll uh, big time. And here's a dynamic. I'm going to go out and just say it because I've written about it before, but uh, – Ken, sometimes mischief happens in our primaries. When I say that, I mean uh, sometimes some folks who really aren't Republicans, 
you know, their independence ostensibly, uh, probably really Democrats, but they dec- they uh, declare as independents so they can vote in our primary. And uh, my understanding is that uh, the, the Democrats would prefer to run against General Bolduc because he said some, some things that they think they can exploit. So if these, if these uh, so-called independents um, vote for the general on top of his lead amongst uh, Republicans, I, I think the general is, in, is in suddenly in really good shape for, to get the nomination on September 13th, but time will tell. Yeah, time will tell, and uh, it's a very, a very impressive field of Republicans uh, vying for that uh, Senate seat in Washington, and, uh, you know, statistically, uh, governor, uh, I should say, Governor uh, General Bolduck is uh, is in the lead right now. Uh, so we shall see what what takes place on September 13th. Lots can happen between uh, now and then. But I I just wonder uh, if the general does get the nomination. I mean, he does not certainly have the uh, war chest of uh, Maggie Hassan and the Democratic machine. That's true, very true, and folks like yourself and others who track this stuff, like myself, I'm very interested in all this, uh, know that uh, Senator Hassan and people on her behalf have spent millions, millions of dollars. And, Already. And uh, they really haven't moved the needle on in terms of her uh, approval rating. Uh, so the general does not, his organization does not have uh, that much money at all compared to others like uh, Senator Hassan, but... Uh, if the general did prevail on September 13th, this being a, uh, a very flippable seat, uh, perhaps uh, one of the top uh, races in the country, uh, yeah. there's already been so many millions come in for uh, Senator Hassan. There will be, for whoever the nominee is, if it is a general or, or somebody else, there will be a lot of uh, out-of-state support and independent PACs, uh, political action committees, that will come in on behalf of uh, whoever the Republican red candidate is, uh, you can count on that. So it'll be a very interesting September 13th and, and very interesting fall for those of us who uh, care about uh, who represents us in, in uh, Washington. And polling shows, uh, that same uh, St. Anselm poll, uh, shows that Maggie Hassan is very vulnerable. And right now the U.S. Senate is 50-50, exactly, 50-50 right now. And, you know, a, a flip of a couple of seats uh, will certainly be valuable uh, to the Republicans if they can manage to do that. And, and this is one of the states I'm, I'm sure that they will be targeting because she is uh, very vulnerable at this time. Sure. And it's no secret that uh, it, the out-of-power party, as opposed to whose, whose party does not have the presidency, as, as you know, in off-year elections typically does not do well. I, I predicted in 2016, before the Trump-Hillary Clinton uh, uh, election results came in, that whoever won that election, the other side would take the would take the House of Representatives in 2018. And uh, so Donald Trump won, and yeah. as I predicted, which yeah. a lot of others did, because of that dynamic of the right. party that's not in, you know, it's the way... For voters to say, okay, uh, you know, we're watching you, Mr. or Mrs. President. So uh, with inflation, and I won't go through the long litany of things that concern a lot of voters, uh, I think it's, it's the enthusiasm gap is going to be huge in terms of the red team versus the blue team in November uh, around the country. 
and that's going to uh, have a, a big impact down the ticket, I think. And, um, and I'm looking for, uh, frankly, a, a red wave. It's just a question of how big that yeah. wave is going to be. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the impact and the influence of, uh, of Donald Trump remains, uh, regardless of what the Democratic Party has tried to do to him over the years, even before he was elected, uh, you know, he, he still, you know, swings a lot of power. Uh, witness last night in Wyoming, where, you know, Liz Cheney went down to defeat soundly in, in the primary because well, she was one of the Republicans who voted to impeach uh, Donald Trump. She was the, the co-chair of the January 6th hearings. And, uh, you know, she knew, I think, that uh, she was going to go down uh, to defeat to a Trump-backed candidate sure. in Wyoming. Sure, and Wyoming is, uh, along with West Virginia, were, were probably the two states that were most pro-Trump in the last election. Uh, and I give uh, you know Representative Cheney some credit. I think she has had some integrity, and she said some things that uh, shined a light where lights needed needed to be shined, and paid the price for it. And in New Hampshire, I'm sure any of the Senate candidates, uh, and also the CD candidates, congressional district candidates in districts one and two. Uh, would be pleased to get uh, uh, Donald Trump's endorsement. I don't know if he's going to or not, uh, but if he did weigh in, uh, you know, let's just say in CD1, I live in CD2, but uh, your poll that you cited shows uh, Matt Mowers and Carolyn Levitt as the leaders, and they both have connections to uh, yeah. the Trump folks. As does Gail Huff Brown, too, also in that race. Her yeah. husband, Scott, yeah. Uh, yeah. was ambassador to New Zealand, former yeah. Yeah. Massachusetts senator. So, uh, if he were to weigh in, uh, I think that would would uh, make a huge difference. Is he going to? I don't know. Uh, uh, but we, time will tell. You know, it, it's amazing. I mean, with uh, all the slings and arrows that have been thrown at Donald Trump, regardless of how anybody feels about him or his tweets or anything else that he's done, uh, I mean, two impeachments. Right. You, you had even, even before— even before he was elected president in 2016, you had the, the, the fake dossier backed by Hillary Clinton financially. And uh, now you have the January 6th hearings and you've got the raid at Mar-a-Lago. But still, he, he's still the, without question, the most influential Republican out there. Well, he's the big dog. Uh, yeah. I actually visited the White House in 2018 as part of a NASCAR thing. I live in Loudoun, not far from the track, and I write a sports column. I was a state rep, and I get this invitation to the White House for NASCAR Day, and my spouse said, uh, "That's it was an email. She said, don't give me your information. It's fake. But it turned out to be an, a real invite, and I went down. So I, I didn't meet him personally. I listened to him at the White House. It was a thrill to get there. But he's a big dog, and he he draws energy from crowds and, and – uh, you know, I can certainly see, uh, having seen him up close and personal, yeah. his energy that uh, is is attractive to a lot of folks. I, I get that. Yeah, uh, no, no doubt about it. Very charismatic guy. There's no no question. And uh, you know, he is the center of attention whenever he enters a room or a stage at a rally. You you name it. I mean, I, I don't think there are too many that have the the charisma. Of, uh, of Donald Trump, that is for sure. Like him or not, he has a lot of charisma and uh, may run again. What do you think? Do you think, do you think he will give it a, a third shot? 
I I think that he is certainly giving signals that he would like to get back in, and uh, personally, I you know I I think some good things happened certainly when he was president uh, to include energy independence. Uh, mm-hmm. Look look where we are now. I mean that's one of a good yeah. number of. I mean he he have a lot of uh, planks or platform issues that he could certainly cite were he to get in to get in. Uh, time will tell. Mike Moffat is with us, state representative. Not running for governor, he says. Or president. In, in 2024. But we'll wait and see about that. It is uh, Kale and Company Live. Mike Moffat has his uh, Facebook Live uh, going as well. Hello to all of you out there. And we are on WKXL, 1450 AM, 1039 FM in the Capital Region, 1019 FM in Manchester and beyond, and streaming worldwide at nhtalkradio.com. Don't you dare touch that dial because we will be right back here on Kale and Company Live. Welcome back. We're heading down the home stretch. Time flies when you're having fun here on Kale and Company Live on WKXL. Mike Moffat, our guest, state representative, and we uh, alluded uh, earlier to the uh, House of Representatives race uh, here in uh, District 1 and District 2. And uh, we are both residents of uh, District 2, represented by Annie Custer. And uh, and right now, there's a a three-way battle for the Republican candidate uh, coming up on uh, September 13th, the primary. But, you know, we we saw the results of that St. Anselm poll, and I don't think any of the three candidates had more than 13 percent of the vote because the three candidates are— I would have to say, widely unknown. Sure. You're talking about George Hounsell, the mayor of Keene, Keen, yep. Bob Burns, who's run before, yeah. and Lily Tang Williams. Yeah. Uh, as I said, I did not make any endorsements, and I and I not the, my endorsement means a whole lot because I, I'm not a. Oh, come I, on now, Mike. Well, come on. But I am a state <laughs> rep, and I, I do get calls, and I well, I, I didn't you know uh, endorse anyone in the uh, Senate race, or or I don't live in CD one. I will tell you, since you brought it up, I did endorse uh, Mayor Hounts, uh, George Hounts, for uh, the CD two seat um, because I think he can win. And um, I think, as I said earlier, I think there will be a red wave this fall. Just don't know how big the wave is going to be. And I think he's positioned as a mayor of Kane. He won re-election by, with 90% of the vote. Moderate. Uh, he and I probably are not in sync on every issue. But I think he, I think he certainly, from my perspective, would be a, a, a vast improvement as a congressman from CD2. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm partisan on that. But uh, yeah, I, I have endorsed George. George, I've spoken with him, and um, I think he would. And the governor has endorsed him, and I think uh, I think he just might pull that off in CD two. You, you know what I thought about when I saw those numbers, and uh, you know, the, all of them relatively unknown, unless you're really in the political world or you live in Keene. Uh, this would have been your chance, Mike. <laughs> this would have been your chance to run for Congress, you, you with name recognition being what it is. Well, you name know, recognition uh, in Canterbury and Loudoun only goes so yeah, far, no, Ken. You're very well, kind. But, but uh, you know you're known well beyond the bounds of uh, Loudoun and Canterbury. You know, well beyond. I mean, this is the weirdest times. I mean, you're out there every week in the weirdest times. Well, you I'm know, glad that you this, picked that up. And uh, it's a sports column. But, yeah, some politics, yeah. Uh, it's my passion, and that works its way into some of my sports columns. See, and this would have been your time, Mike. 
Well, uh, could have been Congressman Moffat. I, let's look ahead to, to September 13th and <laughs> see how, how it'd be very, very interesting to see how these, uh, these uh, primaries unfold. And in District 1, a really crowded Republican field, uh, led right now by uh, Matt Mowers, who ran last time, and uh, Caroline Levitt, who has certainly ties to Trump, uh, as does Mowers and Gail Huff-Brown. How do you see that shaking out? Well, I'm glad. Thanks for asking. It's not my district, and I certainly uh, haven't endorsed anyone. Again, uh, not that my endorsement means much, much, but very interested in that. And uh, I, I know Matt a little bit. I've spoken with him. I've spoken with Carolyn Levitt. Uh, very, in- she's very fat, very young. Yeah. Uh, but has uh, great energy and um, former softball player at St. Anne's. Yeah. 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 Uh, speaking of softball, sure. So. Uh, yeah, very, just very interesting. And, and uh, Gail Huff Brown, I've spoken with, and uh, and she's got uh, some great background, and, and so do the other candidates. So anyway, I, uh, it's not my district, uh, but uh, like you and so many others statewide, will be very interested to see. Uh, right now, it looks like probably Matt or Caroline would be one of those two. And as per our earlier conversation, if the big dog, if if the former president uh, weighed in, uh, I think he could pick that winner. Uh, will he? Uh, time will tell. I think in in, in state right now, our uh, former vice president, Mike Pence, who's at a, a St. Anselm uh, event today, politics and eggs, and uh, Tom Cotton, the Arkansas senator, has been in the state this week. I don't know if he's still here or not, but he has been uh, this week. So uh, you'd have to think that if Trump does not decide to run, uh, that uh, Pence and Cotton and Ron DeSantis would be three of the leading uh, Republican presidential hopefuls for the uh, 2024 primary. Oh, certainly. And I think a lot of Mike Pence, I think he did the right thing on January 6th. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think he's a man of integrity. He is in the state today. I think uh, we mentioned the aforementioned uh, Tim Lang and Howard Pearl. I think are going to see him today. So one of the wonderful things about New Hampshire, as you know, I'm in California a lot. I have a lot of friends uh, and folks I know out there. And they get so jealous. They say, they say, uh, I saw Hillary Clinton was in some place called North Conway talking to nine people. Why don't they? They're always in New Hampshire. Why don't they ever come to California? And my answer is, well, California is a deep blue indigo state, and uh, New Hampshire uh, matters. It's purple, and the first the nation primary, and it's just great, you know, that these people are. Or all, like the Vice President uh, Pence here today, uh, the fact that these folks spend so much time in New Hampshire. I love it, love it. Uh, I know the Democrats may lose the first in the nation primary status, which uh, is another issue. I hope that doesn't happen. I think it's good for us that uh, both GOP and Democrats have that first in the nation primary. We'll, we'll see what happens there. But uh, I love the position New Hampshire is in, as, I, as I'm sure you do. You must oh. get these big shots wanting to talk to you. Right? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Uh, but, the, the, no, the grassroots politicking that goes on in this state is second to none, really, in, in the country. And it would be a shame, uh, I think, if, if we lost uh, the, the first in the nation status. I, I really and truly do. No, no place can do it like New Hampshire. Well, Republicans are solid. We're going to keep the yeah. Republican. It, the, the problem is... On the Democrat side, uh, you know, they're, they're so concerned about uh, identity politics and, and percentages of this, and percentages of that and, and whatever, uh, which I, I think is uh, sometimes counterproductive. And, and uh, you know, I, rather than look, I think it 
makes us focus on our differences rather than our commonality. Mm-hmm. Uh, this yeah. this uh, you know preoccupation with identity politics, which may cost us or cost the Democrats the primary. Uh, President Biden did terrible here. Uh, Fifth Kamala, place. Yeah. Kamala Harris uh, got like 124 votes. So I can see why Biden and Harris w- would not be big fans of uh, the Democrats having the first in the nation primary here. I get that. Uh, but hopefully, uh, you know, the, uh, our Democrat friends will, uh, you know, keep first in the nation status here because it's just so good for our economy and our visibility and our power. So uh, come on, Democrats, keep keep it here. Absolutely. Uh, they're, they're talking about Delaware, perhaps. Uh, I wonder why. Delaware, right? Yeah, Delaware. <laughs> who's, who's from Delaware, right? or, or if not Scranton, Pennsylvania? Now, be, before we have to wrap things up, and this hour has just uh, flown by with Mike Moffat, if you missed any of it, uh, tune in tonight at uh, 7 o'clock here on WKXL and all of its platforms. Uh, but I know that uh, Veto Day is coming up next month at the State House. So what, what does that mean exactly? Well, as, uh, as you know, uh, and if you know civics, you understand that uh, the law process uh, goes through committees, gets to the House, gets through the Senate, goes to the governor's desk where he signs the bill or not. And in some cases, uh, there's uh, a number of bills that he vetoed, saying veto is Latin for I forbid. Mm-hmm. And so uh, a bill can still become law uh, if two-thirds of the legislative, legislative voters vote to uh, overturn the veto. So uh, you can override the governor's veto. With a two-thirds majority. That happened on the death penalty a couple terms ago. Uh, So that's September 15th, Thursday the 15th is veto day day where we will come back to the legislative chambers and uh, vote to sustain or override the vetoes that the governor uh, issued this past year. And you have a bill involved uh, in that veto process. Yes, I do. I actually, Ken, since you, you asked, I uh, had a, cu- I have a number of bills. Very proud of uh, the two civics bills. One of them, uh, high school civics, uh, requiring every high school student to, to graduate would need to pass a 128-question civics test. Governor signed that into law. We had a nice signing ceremony. I had a sister measure that also... Uh, would require every public university or community college student to also pass that test as part of graduation requirement. Governor vetoed that one. Uh, God bless him. And I, and I want to thank the governor for inviting me into his office ahead of time to at least have a conversation about that bill. So, uh, of course, I believe in the bill, and, and uh, I, I support the governor. We, we didn't see this measure quite the same way because he vetoed it. Uh, and, and to overturn a veto is a very heavy lift. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll speak for the measure, which already passed the legislature on, on September 15th, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. All right. Anything else coming up, Mike, that, uh, that we should know about? <laughs> Our Merrimack County Republican Committee is going to have a meeting, uh, monthly meeting tonight at Loudoun Country Club at 6. Uh, so uh, that's on my horizon today. And, uh, and uh, the Red Sox, we've talked about they still have a shot at the wild card. Uh, they do. It may be an outside shot, but they're still technically alive, mathematically speaking. Yeah, yeah. And it was only a year ago that we watched that playoff game at Fenway between the Red Sox and the Yankees. And uh, Oh, yeah. Boy, things have changed. Seems like an eternity ago, doesn't it? What a great yeah. night that was to beat the 
to beat the Yankees in a playoff yeah. game, one-game playoff at Fenway, and now the Yankees have uh, 20 games. The Red Sox are in last place behind the Orioles. Last but- place. Who would have thunk it? I mean, you know, after making it to the ALCS uh, last year, uh, now in last place behind Baltimore of all teams. I know. Yeah, but, but uh, uh, well, they're five or six games, something like that, out of the wild card. But uh, what's today? August 17th. Uh, the, there's time. There's time. Uh, so they have fallen on hard times. But the problem is they had such a huge lead that nobody's going to catch them in the American League East, I don't believe. But they're they're vulnerable, though, I mean, in the postseason. I mean. If the Sox get hot, anything can happen in September. We've seen it before. We have seen it before, and hopefully we'll see it again. And hopefully we'll see you, Mike Moffat, back here again on uh, Kale & Company in the not-too-distant future. Thanks, Ken. It's oh. al- always fun. Always a great time with uh, Mike Moffat. And please read that column this week in the uh, Weir's Times. All about Bill Russell, the great, the legendary, number six, Bill Russell. Mike Moffat, thanks again. Thanks, Ken. And you can listen to the program again, or if you missed some of it, 7 o'clock tonight here on WKXL or nhtalkradio.com. And tomorrow, Don Bolduck will be part of the show starting at 8 a.m. Have a good Wednesday, everybody.